Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. All right, welcome to the Cyber 24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions to keep your organization safe. My name is Marty Carpenter of 24.9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. And our guest today is a guy named Will Plummer from a company called Raysecure, where he's the chief security officer. He also has an interesting military background, 25 years in the Army with the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit. Uh, really interesting to hear a little bit about that, as well as the main topic of our show today, and that is something called a fidgetal attack. Think physical and digital combined into one word, fidgetal, and into one kind of attack. We're going to talk to him about what the heck is a fidgetal attack, first of all, and how hackers build devices called warshipping devices that they use in these fidgetal attacks. And you'll be surprised to think at how inexpensive and easy they can be to build. That's not encouragement to go build them, by the way. That's just letting you know. It's amazing that it's not a terribly expensive endeavor. We're going to talk about the greatest risks of digital attacks on businesses and how your company can protect itself. A very interesting conversation with Will Plummer, Chief Security Officer of Race Secure. I hope you enjoy. Will, thanks for taking some time to be with us. Uh, really grateful to have you uh, here to share some of your expertise. Oh, appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Now, since we broadcast from Utah, I think it's only fair to tell our audience that that you are a Utah-born person, even though you didn't necessarily grow up here, but we're going to claim you as our own since you were born in the Cache Valley area. Okay. I'll, I'll accept that one. <laughs> you I'm, can still be, answering security, least... I'm still answering security questions about where you were born at. And every time I put down Utah, people go, what? Yeah. yeah. Well, at the very least, we'll call you an honorary Utah for the day. And you can, uh, you can wear that like a badge of honor. <laughs> so good. tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, I, I want to, I think it's important for our audience to know you spent a long time with the army in the explosive ordnance uh, disposal area. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about that. And then tell us a little bit about how you have kind of gone through your career and ended up at, at race secure. Yeah. So um, I, I joined the army very, very early on in life. That's one of those things that some people, I was not an adult yet. I need to be yelled at some more. So <laughs> at the, at the great age of 18, I, I gave my myself to the military and I spent uh, 25 years doing Everything that I could find in the uh, explosive or disposal field. So, um, with that, I mean, we all, you know, saw the Middle East and we all saw that kind of kick up, but there's a, a large amount of other things that come with it, you know, doing VIP support to Secret Service, uh, doing some TSCM stuff, spend a lot of time uh, learning about, you know, electronics components and pieces and how things work and kind of how bad guys think a little bit. And um, I retired after 25 years in 2019. I came on here as one of the first security people that the company hired. And um, most of what we do uh, is work with corporate security and work with executive protection and try to keep threats from beginning or sending in or getting sent into them. Um, we do some stuff with corrections now and looking for narcotics, but uh, a big chunk of what we do is try to help other people with their physical security requirements. All right. Today, we're talking about Fidgetal attacks. Right. And I wonder if we could start here and tell our audience if they haven't figured it out or if they don't know the term, what the heck is a fidgetal attack and give us some examples of, of what we're talking about. So uh, it's 
generically speaking, a type of attack that crosses between the physical uh, attributes of being a threat to the digital. Um, one of the things that if you look uh, at your organization or across whatever functionality you work in, you go, all right, we've got an email server that's got three different uh, firewalls on it. We've got physical security people that stand out front that make sure that active shooters aren't walking in the front door. And we've got badges for everybody to make sure we know who's who. And we badge doors and we make sure that everything works. But when there's something that can cross between those two lines or those two physical threat arenas, you end up with something that most people aren't looking for. Uh, it's the same reason why companies have TSCM programs and they're trying to make sure they'll be listening to what they're doing. Um, you can mail things into an organization that'll sit, pick up, uh, whatever digital footprint you have going on. And uh, I know people or organizations do a really good job of locking that down, but you'd be amazed at how many packets of data fly around via Wi-Fi that can be picked up if you got something that's intended to do that. I, I get sort of structurally what it is, right? In in theory, what it is. Can you give us some specific examples of what, what these digital attacks may look yeah. like? Uh, something as easy as people walking in and putting, uh, like listening devices, putting in... Uh, a Raspberry Pi and a software loadout that you can get from uh, YouTube and download it for free on the internet and mail it into your organization, especially in times of COVID. Now that we have so many hybrid workers, stuff just sits around a lot more than ever used mm -hmm. to. And you program it to pick up on printers and Coke machines and everything else that's hooked up in your network. And it just sits and listens, waits for uh, access to be granted copies that access. And then most of the time you can retransmit it back out. You can send, have it resend whatever data it just picked up, or you just put the wrong name down. It gets returned to sender. And then when the battery dies, it's listened to everything. It gets returned directly back to the person that mailed it out. And they've got everything that was going on inside your organization for that period of time. So these types of devices, is, is this what's called a warshipping device mm -hmm. or is that something, is that maybe a specific type of that's device. That, that's the probably more common version that people have actually heard of is is a worshiping device. Yes. And what is so, that? So, uh, 2019, uh, it was one of the. It was. Uh, I'm not going to name the company because you can go <laughs> research exactly how to do this. It's probably not the best thing to do if you're not a security professional. But um, they basically tested out that you could take uh, a small computer, which Raspberry Pis are a great example of them, and put a GPS tracker on it. So it saves battery. It'll just sit and make sure it's within, say, 100 meters of where it's supposed to go. If it's not, it'll turn off. It'll go into an organization, realize where it is, turn it back on, and then a Wi-Fi dongle and a couple of lines of code later that you can find on the Internet quite easily and just copy and paste into the OS for the Raspberry Pi. And it'll sit and emulate. Uh, it can sit and emulate uh, a, a computer itself, or it could sit and just pick up all the data that, that you're putting out. And like I said, it's it's the same thing that somebody would do if they go sit in your lobby and try to log on to your Wi-Fi and do a, an attack that way, or the same way if they try to go in through uh, through a Trojan and try to get into your computers. It's it's another way of getting at your network. That doesn't sound like something that you need a lot of specialized equipment or even training necessarily to do. How easy is it for hackers to build a warshipping device? It's extremely easy. So um, my background is not in computers. Uh, it's in bombs. And it took us about $300 and we bought some of the higher end stuff and two or three hours of downloading and doing a little bit of reading. And then no, no, not joking here. It's just copy paste. Somebody's already written the code. You don't have to rewrite anything and uh, camouflage it, send it, and it's good. 
Uh, I took it to a to one of the large shows. In fact, it was ISC West. Put it in the middle of the room, and I was speaking on this topic and a few other ones, and let it sit and listen for the forty five minutes that I was, uh, you know, running my mouth, and opened it up at the end and had probably half of the room cell phone handshakes to the to the uh, Wi Fi network because people were going ahead and clocking into it and pulled it up on the screen. And we didn't do the last step, which is what would take passwords. We just did the part where we could identify who was on the network and started asking people, is this your phone? Is this your phone? I think that was 275 bucks we spent and it lasted for four days on one battery. Was that in part in that specific example, those folks uh, in the, you know, in the ballroom connected Mm -hmm. to the hotel Wi-Fi, but they, would if they had taken one second to turn on a VPN or you know the five minutes to go buy a VPN for their phone, would that have thwarted that if they'd taken that step? That definitely would have done it. And the point, the reason why we did it was, you know, that's a room full of security professionals. Everybody mm-hmm. at that show is in security. Most everybody uh, should have a VPN or should have some way to protect themselves. And about half the room, I'd say closer to probably three quarters, did not. And they were using the hotel Wi-Fi, which is something you probably shouldn't be doing anyway. It's really interesting because just from doing this podcast for like 170 plus episodes now, enough of my guests have got me scared on that stuff that if I ever have to go on a public Wi-Fi, like the VPN is the very first thing that opens up mm-hmm. <laughs> right after it or right before. A lot of times you have to disconnect it to get on and then go back. But right. I mean, it's on just like that. So I'm really, I, th- I find that really interesting that security professionals, people who I would think you would say should know better <laughs> and should have better habits, didn't take that step. Did that surprise you? I, I was honestly very surprised. I, I figured I'd get four or five. I mean, we in the office we're sitting there messing with it before we went to went to Vegas, and yeah, we figured we'd get a couple. And then because I wasn't looking at it, I had it hidden behind the the slides that I was putting on, so I minimized the slides and pulled it up, and it was like, oh wow, there's probably thirty people on that list right there. Yeah. And then I what pulled was the, it up. Go what ahead. was the reaction from the crowd? I'm wondering I, what they were they shocked or embarrassed. Uh, some of them were a little bit embarrassed. You could tell, but a lot of them, it took, it was interesting to watch the the look on their face. I pulled it up and they kind of looked at it. We're suing and it's just a, it's just a user interface. So you're seeing username and amount of packets and the amount of time they were on and it tracked everything that they'd done. And you're sitting there and there was kind of a, just a, a moment of awareness kind of washing across the group from the front who could see really closely what was going on. And then as it worked its way to the back of the room where people started tapping each other going, Hey, I think that's your phone, buddy. I think that's your stuff up there because yeah. it's got your name and your last name and everything on it. Yeah, interesting. So they're they're easy to build. They're easy to mm-hmm. send and implant. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the real risk of a digital attack then for a corporation? You're saying, okay, someone can send this to me. It's easy to get in here. It's hard for me to track it. Um, what's the real? What's really at risk for a corporation? Access. So if if they happen to catch a registered device that's going in that has uh, you know an old school username password as a lot of old devices do and it doesn't require two factor authentication uh, you can access it just like a trojan would the the real problem from it if you're if you're looking is it's hard to do some stuff offsite but if you send it in and get the get whatever you need and then you walk back in with a computer that can be seen as legitimate and get on the local network, get the local Wi-Fi or whatever you're going to do, access it. You can get into anything that you really want to get into. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not a you know a, a internet guru person, but a lot of what we do is 
is driven by that. And everybody's getting smarter and smarter on a daily basis. Um, data is important. And companies have TSCM programs for a reason. Effectively, you can send this in like any other threat that you would address with TSCM, and you probably won't know it's there because people don't run TSCM programs daily. They aren't looking for bugs regularly. Um, and this is just one way of doing it. There's a there's a huge problem when it comes to crossing physical threats over into the cyber world. It's not something that people really take a look at all that much. It's a low probability that it's going to happen, but it's a very high penalty if it does. It's really interesting to think of, you know, you're looking for a digital uh, attack mm -hmm. <laughs> and then something, it's essentially still a digital attack, but it comes in the form of something physical and so old school that mm -hmm. you, know, you, you might spend time training your employees, don't click on bad links in email, right. but you know, you don't think to say, and by the way, don't let your mail sit for a long time without checking to see what it is and be on the lookout for these types of things. Yeah, we've, I, I do a lot of site surveys and I'll go into Fortune 5 and Fortune 50 companies, and especially in the hybrid environment. So you'll get an employee that's going to come in for, you know, five days, a, five days a month and they get something and it goes to their desk. Well, where is their desk physically located at? Some of them sitting right next to a server, some of them sitting next to access points or whatever else. It's not going to move for, you know, the period of time between visit one and visit two. Um but you go to these companies and you'll look at them and go, you are a trillion dollar company and you've got this piece of equipment that got mailed in here that's been sitting here for eight months, nine months, some things, because it had the it just had the name of the company on it, no name. And they have a, a large mail process that a lot of stuff going in and going out and they have frustrated. It's like frustrated cargo when you're trying to go through TSA. It ends up sitting somewhere. And unfortunately, some of those places that you put those items that they sit and can easily have a battery backup, easily be transmitting, easily doing a lot of things, uh, they'll sit next to something that's unfortunately usually quite sensitive. There's plenty to keep you up at night, but with so many remote workers, IoT devices, and multiple clouds, it's hard to balance keeping everyone productive while keeping the network secure. With Aruba's Edge Services platform, you don't have to choose between delivering network performance or closing security gaps. Learn how Aruba's SASE and Zero Trust framework can help you deploy network security services how and where you choose. Get the facts by visiting vlcm.com slash edge. That's vlcm.com slash edge. Recent events have fundamentally changed the way we work. It's created new challenges for keeping employees connected, productive from home, and safe when they return to the office. To help bring organizations into this new normal of work, Aruba Networks has developed an AI-driven, intelligent cloud-managed networking platform that can help your business with secure business class connectivity at home, staff safety management, and flexible financing options. With Aruba, you can have a safe and productive workplace for your employees. Learn more about Aruba's hybrid workplace-powered solutions with Valcom by visiting vlcm.com slash edge. That's vlcm.com slash edge. So there, there's a, a significant uh, risk. There's an attack vector. A lot of, there are a lot of ways to get these things into dangerous spots. Mm -hmm. They're inexpensive and relatively easy, don't require much expertise to build, mm -hmm. and they they pose a real risk for corporations. So yeah, if that doesn't sufficiently scare everyone, I don't know what will. But the, the next question, I guess, is what can you do about it? How can companies protect themselves? 
Um, well, go back to two-factor authentication on everything if you if you can. That actually does help quite a bit when it comes to these because want to make sure who you're talking to is actually who you're talking to and not somebody in the lobby. Um, some of the policies in place don't let stuff sit around. Find a period of time that's legitimate and to, this doesn't have a name on it, return to sender immediately. Keeping things that just sit on desks is, is not a good idea. Uh, I see a lot of companies that'll do desk side service or they, you know, I, we allow everybody to bring in Amazon. We allow everybody to bring in a bunch of stuff and they've got runners that will take it to their desk, trying to make sure that everybody's happy. And that's great. It's probably better if you do like a hub and spoke approach where people have got to come back into that mailroom and get something. So you physically know somebody has control of that item before it goes back out again. Uh, I, when I explain this, I talk about like a think about like a landmine or a, a minefield. If you walk out there and you let 50 packages a day end up on desks and they don't move, those are 50 unknowns. If you haven't validated the user or the, the person that's going to receive it and you haven't said, this is out of my control, now it's in yours, um, that could be problematic and it could be something people could exploit. There's a, it, It's a lot of low level, low cost, maybe some change in policies and procedures, uh, things that you can do to stop it. Um, and the IT side is always important, making sure that you have that locked down as humanly possible. Yeah. When you bring this up with clients, are they consistently surprised to have not thought about this or to learn that this type of vulnerability exists? Yeah, a, a little bit. Uh, usually it's the it's the tech companies that have a lot of IP to lose and they know it, um, that know that they are being targeted. You talk to some of the, the older companies, well, banks too, talk to them, but uh, you talk to some of the older, more established companies that aren't necessarily running around with a bunch of brand new ideas. Uh, they're a little less worried. But the the smaller ones, the the up and coming companies that do have things that they are trying to get patented or that that do have a high threat of having something being taken from them, they they do generally get worried about it. Yes, and unfortunately, they're usually the ones that aren't running a TSCM program or something because they don't have, they're not mature enough to do that, which makes them pretty viable targets. Yeah, that's a term you've used a couple of times, and for our audience, I want to make sure they know what you mean by a TSCM program. Sorry about that. I, I, the military <laughs> thing. I tend to use backgrounds. Technical surveillance and countermeasures. So it's um, people sending in bugs or putting things that are illicit into your organization that will be used to pull information out. Um, it's interesting. If you watch some of the, the lawsuits, when you look at hostile takeovers, there's almost always, not almost always, there's there's oftentimes you'll find in some of the, the verbiage of the lawsuit where it's words that were only exchanged in a room with two people in the boardroom uh, that were only repeated once. And those were quoted directly in the hostile takeover paperwork or in whatever they're doing. And it, it's actually a pretty easy Google search. If you throw it on there every now and then you'll, you'll pick up on it and it happens more often than you think. So, yeah, that's really, really interesting stuff. And I think it's uh, such an interesting topic because I don't think it's something that most of us, even in the cybersecurity space, think about as often you get focused on the digital, you forget the physical. And I suppose there was a long time when you would focus on the physical and still companies that focus on the physical and forget the digital. And there's just uh, something to be considered on on both ends there. Um, for those who would love to know more about this, uh, tell us where we can either follow you or Ray Secure or find more information. Uh, where, where can we uh, follow along? Uh, yeah, just go to the website, uh, raysecure.com. On this topic, we've got... Uh, a white paper, a case study, and a bunch of other information. If you look at the threat data center, uh, most of the stuff that we populate for my team goes there. And there's all sorts of 
just free information to pull down. Will Plummer from Race Security is the chief security officer of that organization. Uh, thanks so much for your time and being with us today. Thank you, Marty. Appreciate it, man. That'll do it for this episode. I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvant. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. We want to hear from you in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week, and stay safe online.